Have you ever had to grieve the loss of your dream? Even if it was your choice to change directions in life, meaning you choose one life path, and even if you know it's the right way, you still feel a sense of loss over the direction you didn't choose. I've definitely gone through that. There were a lot of tears involved, and my guest today has been there too. But she turned her dance experience and passions into a coaching business that helps people understand those hard life transitions in a new way. Her name is Natalie Orr, and as a dance and life coach with a background in dance anthropology, she brought a new perspective, and I always love it when people push me beyond my comfort zone. I mean, have you ever heard of dance anthropology? Natalie used her expertise to explain to me what that is and why music and dance connect us and create a true sense of community. And importantly, how all of us as dance teachers and dancers can't lose sight of the origins of dance and music in our cultures. Hi, I'm Dr. Chelsea. This is the Passion for Dance podcast, where we talk about how to bring mental skills like resilience, mindset, and motivation into our dance community. And today's show covers all of it with my guest, Natalie Orr. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored that you accepted me to come on your show. I'm a big fan and I'm super excited to speak to your audience because I feel like they're kind of my audience too. And I love this group of people like dance teachers and dance educators are like shifting humanity. So I'm excited. <laughs> I I love that. That's a bold statement. And I totally agree. Actually, that's wonderful. Uh, so will you share a little bit about yourself? Tell my audience about you, you and your dance journey. Yes. Okay. So mine is very higgledy piggledy and <laughs> random and around the corners and all that kind of thing. I didn't do like a straight down the line thing. So um, very long story short, I started as a little girl with ballet, the kind of typical story. I loved it. Um, and then I stopped ballet when I was nine because I moved from Scotland to England. And um, during that process, I didn't find a dance teacher that I liked. I was very spoiled with my first dance teacher. She was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and when I moved, I was like, I'm not feeling this new, this new thing. So um, I ended up doing more contemporary kind of stuff at mm-hmm. school. In the UK, you can actually study dance at school. So I did GCSE and A-level dance, which was super fun. Um, and I also play the cello and I also studied music. So those two things for me were always very related. And um, to me, kind of made a lot of sense to go together. When it came to uni, I wanted to study dance and music. I was like, that makes perfect sense. And no university, I don't even know now, maybe it's changed. But at that point when I applied, so this was like 2005, um, you couldn't study both, right? So I had to choose oh. at that point. You, they okay. didn't do join honors yeah and I was like that's weird because you can study like French and dance but you can't do dance and music anyway oh, that does seem strange like those should strange, go together right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I thought the same but no um so you kind of have to yeah you have to choose so in the end I chose dance 
Um, and so my degrees in dance, that's contemporary. There was like no ballet involved in my degree or anything. Um, and then while I was at uni, I got really into the Latin stuff. So I started dancing salsa, um, Brazilian samba, reggaeton, like more like urban Latin styles. I got super into that. I was like, this is awesome. I love that. And um, unfortunately, during the process of my degree, like I really enjoyed my degree and I learned a lot, <clears throat> but I fell a little bit out of love with contemporary dance from all of the like over analysis of it I think from my yeah. side it was that and I just kind of was like oh, dance was the thing that used to was supposed to make me like feel really good and like have fun and feel alive in my body and at some point like I still enjoy contemporary but yeah there was a shift for me so yeah. out of uni everyone expected like okay so she's got a dance degree <laughs> I went yeah. and auditioned for a Latin dance company <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, so I started working with them, dancing um, around different parts of the UK and London, um, doing samba shows, different Latin shows. And then I was also teaching the Latin styles as well. So that's what I actually did out of uni okay. um, for a few years. And then eventually I was craving to come back to academia. For me, it's really difficult to just do one thing. I realized this is why I was never cut out to be like, a professional like high level dancer in one style because I just can't commit to <laughs> have commitment issues in dance yes so um <laughs> I was really craving getting back to the academic side because I love that too I'm really passionate about people not just um you know the people that have quote-unquote talent for dance but understanding dance on a more human level I was yeah. always really drawn to that so I went and I did my master's degree in dance anthropology so like anthropology being the study of human beings and then focus yeah. on dance um, at Roehampton University which is in London um, and that really was like a life changer for me that master's degree it's yeah. really when I started to be able to see dance in a whole new way because you study the dances from all different cultures from all different times my dissertation was on the evolution of music and dance so like why on earth do humans dance and make music like why do we do that how did we get the ability to do that yeah. um, and kind of look at it from this dance as a behavior rather than dance as an art form and like it's always both but there was mm -hmm. something more fundamental there for me, which is like fascinating. So after I finished my master's, I was still quite young at this point. I was only 23, I think. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my um, tutors and things are like, right, okay, so PhD. But I was like, no, I feel called to go back into the actual da practical dance world. So I like left academia again. I was like, see ya. Um, and then <laughs> I wanted to teach. So I've left a few yeah. things out bit here. In the middle of all of that, I moved to Spain. Um, and when I first moved to Spain, I was teaching English just because that's the way to kind of get in here before you speak the language. I didn't speak sure. Spanish. I learned it here. Um, but then as soon as I'd kind of learned Spanish here, I ended up setting up um, my own. I worked for a, another company for a bit. And then I set up my own dance classes. And so also somewhere in that story, I started ballet again. So this is when I was 26. I started ballet again and um, I got completely hooked and I was like I've been missing this there's something so fun about ballet like the aesthetics of it the the easy way of measuring your progress in it and I have some history of like perfectionism and other mm -hmm. shadows that I had to work through and a lot of them came out in ballet so I kind of got really hooked to it 
and ended up studying for a year in the conservatoire in Madrid. Um, so he went through that kind of like pre-professional training here and um, but eventually was like again I was like I don't want to just be on stage this isn't my dream it's an mm-hmm. amazing dream for so many people and I kind of at some point was like am I a failure for not wanting that um, yeah. but eventually I kind of gave myself permission to be like that was never really on the cards for me. And when I look back at my, my journey, I'm like, yeah, that's really obvious, Natalie. You were never able to just kind of like focus on one very specific thing. Um, yeah. But it was really, you know, really formative training. I really enjoyed it. It was a wonderful experience. And the thing that it gave me was learning ballet again as an adult and going through that process, having already been a dance teacher, it was fascinating to see like what my body could do and how it could transform and how it could change at that age and what I was able to achieve, which was beyond what I actually thought when I actually first started. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. The human yeah. body is amazing. Um, but then of course, like that all sounds really cool. And then there are other things that go with it. I had a few like injuries because of forcing my turnout a little bit too much, a little bit too quickly. Um, and anyway, again, I said I was yeah. going to keep this short. Sorry, it's been very long. Eventually, <laughs> I come, I set up my own um, classes and workshops for adult ballet dancers. I decide I'm going to teach ballet in a slightly different way, um, like in a very kind of student empowered way, like slightly switching up the hierarchy that's usually there in a ballet class between teacher and students. Um, I ran like uh, adult ballet holidays so people would come from like other parts of the world and they'd come to Madrid we'd all get together we'd dance ballet we'd learn a variation and we'd hang out it was super fun um I love that that's amazing it was super (laughs) so fun so fun the final little part of my story is that around like five years ago I started learning about coaching um I originally got into it through wanting to learn about how to be a better entrepreneur because that was something that as a dance teacher you just kind of like end up being an entrepreneur accidentally and then I was like oh maybe I should learn how to do this better yeah (laughs) so um I kind of was like let me figure this out learn a bit about business coaching and then found my way into kind of like life coaching and that Mm -hmm. really changed everything for me when I was able to let go of the perfectionism when I was able to let go of the self-criticism when I was able to yeah give myself permission to be who I actually am and do things in the way that I want to do them and so that was a really beautiful journey that led me then into training to be a coach and then starting to coach um, dance teachers and also other mainly women who struggle with perfectionism and those kinds of things and Mm -hmm. are just ready to like blossom and bloom into like who they always were and just own it so yeah oh thank you no that is I love that it's not a straight line as you said and I think (laughs) there's pressure to do it a certain way and to have that straight line Uh, but I want to dig in a little bit when you said you've had that sense of failure when you decided not to go down the path the right way maybe and maybe that was you know in academia or again and like should I go pro should I and then deciding it's not what I want and I had a, a similar journey of having this pressure of what I felt like I was supposed to do and then doing something different. So uh, either speaking a little bit to your own journey or maybe what might be helpful for people to hear is like what helped you through that and let go of that sense of failure to embrace your new journey? Yeah, I had to grieve. I wish there was something that was just like a, a flick, a switch, a, a moment of just like releasing everything. But in all honesty it was a little process of like grieving the future version of me that I thought should exist 
and just embracing the one that was here and what she yeah. actually wanted. <laughs> right. um, and so what that looked like for me on a, just a very practical level was um, after I'd um, finished at the conservatoire and I was in that transition to going back to teaching dance and being like, yeah, I'm never going to be a ballet dancer. And like, that's absolutely fine. And, you know, I think it was like a little chip on my shoulder from when I was so young, like that nine-year-old, mm-hmm. really the adult me knew, like, no, I love having more flexibility in my schedule. I love being able to top and change dance styles. But what I had to do was like, <laughs> this is going to sound so silly. I literally watched Swan Lake and I just cried all the way through it. And that was <laughs> And once it was finished, I was like, okay, that was super sad. But thank you, Svetlana and Roberto for like giving <laughs> me that moment <laughs> to just get it all out. And then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, other people are doing this beautiful work of like sharing dance in that specific way. It doesn't have to be me. And, mm-hmm. and that was where I realized like the part of, that was my ego that was like, oh, I want it to be me because then I'm the one that's like done all this. And I'm going like, oh my God, you're a professional ballet dancer, which is so awesome. But at the same time, like that doesn't, didn't have to be me. People are doing sure. that really, really beautifully. So then the question is like, me who I am the skills and talents that I have the gifts that I have that might not be as well recognized on certain levels of like the dance institutions but that mm. I know have value how do I step into those and give myself permission and I honestly think it was it was just a process of just taking like one step after another and one of my favorite quotes this is a Marie Folio quote she's a she's a business coach she says clarity comes from engagement not thought." And yeah. so I really was just like, okay, well, let me just try this then. Let me not try and think my way into exactly what type of dance teacher should I be or what should I be doing next? Let me just go out and try it. Like, let me set up a class. Let me hire a studio. Let me tell people about it and see what happens yeah. and see how I want to continue on the journey. So oh, I messy. love that. <laughs> I know it is messy, but I think that's the, that's the reality is it should yeah. be messy. And, and it is, I think. I like that you align it with grief because I think when we are grieving a lot, like a future version of us, that is very real yeah. to let go of. Yes. And I think we struggle with that in our teens and twenties to decide that that's okay to let go of in order to be who we, I uh, mean, you know, like I said, our best versions. And uh, can I add something? Please jump in. About this um, grief part though. It's so tempting to want to like have it all and I think as dancers and dance teachers um at least the people that I know like we're very good at getting good at things like it's almost like a talent getting really good at things quickly and learning things very quickly all the dancers and dance teachers that I know they're like that and Mm -hmm. so it's also this it's almost like sometimes an outside pressure from other people who see us that they're like but you're really good at this like and you therefore should do this thing and all of a sudden you from the inside are like oh wow but there are so many trajectories that I could go and be successful at and now I have to choose one and that means that I'm a failure at all the others and it's just like reframing that and it's like no those aren't failures I just this one life I have to make trade-offs basically there yeah. is only one thing. And I like this just to give another weird comparison to this, but I also used to sometimes feel like that in like my physical appearance. And I don't know, I'm sure there are other dancers that maybe can relate to this, but 
I also had this thing of like, I wish I could also be blonde. And when I danced um, as a samba dancer, I was like, I wish I could also be really curvy. And when I danced mm -hmm. in, you know, different things, and I was like, I wish I could be this version of a woman and that version of a woman and that version of a woman. It was kind of a similar thing in the dance world where I was like, could I not just also be a dancer, but also a teacher at the same time, and then also learn about this academic thing and then dance also batata professionally. And I was like, no, Natalie, you can't, <laughs> you must choose. And when you choose, the process is the grieving process of just acknowledging yeah I'm letting go of those other ones and that's okay like I'm yeah. here to live one life and enjoy it but it's oh, hard it's hard <laughs> it is so hard but I, I appreciate that comparison I think you're right and it's a little it's that comparison trap that so many of us are in too is like we want what other people have and being able to accept it that it may not be right for us but then also it that doesn't mean it's a failure if you are intentionally choosing a different path. And that's, that's a beautiful reframe. Uh, the other piece of what you said before that I wanted to touch on was, uh, what your Marie Forleo quote about action, because I think that's one of the best ways to get out of this trap is like, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like teach. Like I didn't go into graduate school thinking I was going to be a professor. That was not the plan, but I got in there and I was like, I might like it. I might not. I don't know. And let's just take action. I taught my first class. I was like, oh, yep. Click. There it is. And then it becomes easier to let go of the other paths because you've found that piece. And I think, but taking action is the scary part, right? It's Absolutely. a lot easier to sit in my little hole than just think about what I might want to do. Um, so I don't know if you have any other things you want to add on about the getting out of the, I just want to sit and think about this and being brave enough to take that first step of action. Yeah, for me, this is something that I help, I would say probably every client with. And the reason I'm good at helping them with that is because I had to help myself with this first <laughs> many times over. Um, and for a lot of us, it stems partly from perfectionism, I think, of just coming to an understanding that life does not work how it works in the ballet studio in the ballet studio there are very certain rules there's a right and wrong way to do everything there's someone that's going to tell you exactly what you need to do and all you need to do is follow those steps to the t mm -hmm. and you're going to get a gold star that is not how life works and yet we want to put that model onto life Mm -hmm. and instead life is a little bit messy and you have to try things out and some people are going to be like you're doing the right thing and some people are like you're going to be doing the wrong thing mm -hmm. and if you're only ever trying to like avoid criticism or people not understanding what you're doing or any of those things you're, you're going to be trapped in the box of I need to think my way out of this um because you're not giving yourself permission to take imperfect action and then you are stuck like I've been there many times, like you, you are stuck um, until you just take the brave decision. And this takes courage. There's also no way of getting around the discomfort of doing it. Again, we want to think ourselves out of it. Like, how can I prepare more? How can I watch another interview? How can I listen to another podcast? How can I gain yeah. the, that next bit of knowledge that's going to allow me to do this without any discomfort or, or getting something wrong? But so many times in life, especially if you want to do something that's a little bit your own or a little bit out of the box you just have to deal with the physical sensation of discomfort of someone not understanding what I'm doing or getting it wrong maybe no one else even sees it but maybe I see that mm -hmm. I made a mistake mm -hmm. and just being able to deal with that and the amazing thing is is that like dancers are so good at dealing with physical discomfort like we're mm -hmm. super trained in that 
Right. And then all we have to do is switch it over and understand that emotional discomfort feels very similar. Like it's also a body sensation. So you guys, we know how to do this. It's just shifting it and being like, because when it's emotional, it doesn't feel like we're in control of it, right? When it's physical and we're in the dance studio, we're like, my leg's up here and it's shaking, but I know if I really have to, I can take it down at any moment. And somehow with the emotional stuff, taking action on something scary or being courageous or doing something different, that feels a little more out of control, but it's not. Like we can still, there are you know ways that we can deal with those emotional sensations as well um and so that's why I also work with embodiment and coaching because I like to bring those two things two parts together I love that and I started recently thinking about how it's not about getting out of your comfort zone but about expanding your comfort zone yeah and I think you can only do that if you take action and go for it um so I love that thought I want to shift a little bit because I want to get into the anthropology piece of your work, because I think the as you were talking about, like the origins of dance and music and so many of us, unless you had that specific education, mm-hmm. don't know it at all. Like we're just living in the current, um, you know, the current iteration of what it is. So yeah, of course. will you, um, I think first maybe clarify uh, how you are defining dance as we're talking about it in this way, and then share about dance and music as a part of community yes absolutely so the way that I personally define dance um is intentional rhythmic movement so that is a very wide definition that Mm -hmm. is not that useful to people who are you know doing specific research in ballet for example because it's too broad it's too broad a scope but this definition is really useful for me because it's, it's actually the origins of why we can dance. If we weren't able to move our body rhythmically, we wouldn't be able to dance. And people forget that because they think dance is about flexibility or it's about strength or it's about movement range. It is at some level, but ultimately it's about rhythm. If you can't move rhythmically, then you can't dance in time with other people. This mm-hmm. is actually the core, the fundamental ability of dance, dance people to dance. Yeah. Um, and what I love about that is that that definition is also music because to play an instrument or to sing like I know that singing you can't really see the part of the body that's moving rhythmically but it's the voice right it's the larynx etc and if you're obviously drumming that's a little bit more of an obvious one and then there are these beautiful examples of where there's both so flamenco or tap is a great example of where there's this the rhythm that you can hear and the rhythm that you can see simultaneously Mm -hmm. um and you only have to look at children to understand how true this is and how deep it is in our anatomy and our biology and our psychology if there's music on the kids will start like bobbing along or like do 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 (laughs) so this innate ability (laughs) to what we call it is in train with the rhythm, which is like to join in with it, to become synchronized with the rhythm, is the fundamentals of music and dance. Um, And it's also, you know, in a lot of cultures, especially historically, they they actually only had one word for both of those things because they always went together. If you think about in like a ritual type of space, there would always have been music and dance together. And so that was all part of the same thing. And then, of course, we come like more into modern times and there's been this like big separation between music and dance. And there is a place for, um, you know, especially in research and things, for looking at them individually. 
But what I, I guess I, I feel like my little part to play in the dance world is just to remind people to bring it all back together again mm-hmm. um, and to take a more like bigger holistic look. Like we need to go deep and specific. But then once all that knowledge has been gained, I love like the idea of bringing it all back together and like reconnecting with like, hey, how can dance research and music research come together and explore and um you know the same thing not necessarily in a research place but in in the dance studios like how can we again bring live music into the space with live dance and you know it's so tempting now because we live in a technological world to also kind of just forget the importance of you know why do we put music on when we're feeling lonely it's not only because it makes us feel good and it releases all these things well why does it do that because music if you were listening to music that always meant that you were with another human being until the mm-hmm. last, you know, few mm-hmm. hundred years when we had sound recording. But before that, it always meant that there was another human being with you. Um, and so I think that's, you know, on a deep level of the body, music makes us know that we're not alone, makes us feel that we're not alone. So, but part of the beauty of that is experiencing it in person. And I think, you know, it's amazing. We've had dance classes online. People have been able to improve their technique at home. Like what a miracle all this technology has been. But I'm still a really big proponent of like remembering the, yeah, the origins of dance and music. And that was people coming together. So this comes into the community part. It's really some of the best ways participating in dance and music are some of the best ways for people to feel a sense of belonging. and this deeper connection, which we're really craving right now. So there's a lot of divisions in the world. And a lot of these divisions are caused from um, disagreement on like psychological concepts, or like ethical ideas. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot on kind of like this, if people can't see me, I'm doing like on the head realm, (laughs) moving Mm -hmm. my hands around my head. But we need to also have the opportunities to come together on a body level and dance and music are literally the best ways to do that um and I just invite people to think of like if you've been in a dance class with with someone like especially if you do partner dances or something like that um that it's an opportunity to connect with people not only on a cognitive level but on a body level and there's lots of ways that that happens rhythmically thinking about music in that way is really powerful to me because I think you're right. We have, I'm familiar with that experience of music connecting to my emotions and connecting, whether it's cathartic or whether it's, you know, connecting me to, you know, when we think of romantic couples that have a song or a song comes on that makes me think of my best friend and we're very connected to that, but I didn't think about it from a historical sense of you were always with someone like that makes so much sense and kind of even the, I take the psychology evolution piece to it, but that's how our brain has made that connection. And that's so beautiful. And I think you're right. As dance teachers, we maybe are losing sight of some of the power of what music can do for us to bring us together. Yeah, it's so powerful. And this idea of sharing a rhythm as well. So um, this beautiful research that's been done, I'll just share like one study because it's one of my favorites. 
where um, not only community, but also cooperation increases when we dance or like make music together. So one of the studies that they did was in uh, school. So this is with children and they had like a storytelling experience and then they had a musical experience. And in both cases, they were more, the children were more cooperative after, but in the musical experience, it was even higher. Mm. Um, and so I, I just love this example because I think on like a humanity level where we're at right now, there's kind of a big focus on we all need shared stories and we're living in a global time so things are complicated right but at the same time as well as shared stories even more so we need shared movement experiences Um, and so that is what music and dance give us and I kind of sometimes forget that you know when we were at school probably most of our friends would listen to like some of the same songs or they'd know the same songs because you just listen to what was on the radio or like everyone mm-hmm. just had the Spice Girls album or whatever it was. <laughs> and there was also that shared thing of like, you all know the words to the same songs. And there's that feeling of belonging also in that. Yeah. Um, and now there's like the trade-off between you have access to any music that's ever been recorded at your <laughs> fingertips on the internet, which is beautiful and incredible and amazing. But then at the same time, we don't share in those rhythms as much anymore. Yeah. Oh, super interesting. Will you, I don't want to leave without going practical because I always try to mm-hmm. help my teachers say like, okay, if you're inspired by this conversation, if something's interesting, what do we go do? So any advice on a practical thing a dance educator can go do when they're with their dancers? Yes. So one of the beautiful things about dance and music is that they bring us into our body but as teachers we have a tendency because we've been trained this way to take people out of their body and into their mind and then you can't actually access these benefits of like that feeling of community in the class or the that beautiful feeling of dancing together or sharing in the rhythm of the music because you're so analyzing is my movement correct does this look good is this exactly what I have to be doing or even worse you're like that girl's competition what how high is her mm-hmm. leg or you know the fear of like if I do something wrong and I'm going to be shouted at or whatever so I just encourage and no one has to do everything in the same way but I think there is a place for reminding our dancers and you know even just people in our life that there's a lot of things that we can access through the body so not constantly like giving vocal corrections or like forcing them to be in that analytical state but giving them a chance to you know what this time this time that we're doing this exercise or whatever just feel it just be in the body don't worry Mm -hmm. and I promise I'm not going to correct because that's the other thing you can't tell people be in your body don't worry don't analyze and then shout at them like that was wrong that was wrong (laughs) right just giving people space to like come back into their bodies that's one thing more like practical for the dance teachers Lots of dance teachers are already doing this, which is wonderful. But I think on just like a more general broad society level, how can you just dance more with people who are not dancers? Because Mm -hmm. ultimately we're all dancers. I've just explained how all human beings have this fundamental ability to move move rhythmically. So dance with your nieces and nephews, like dance at the wedding, encourage people who feel now that they're not allowed to dance because unfortunately there's been this separation now between people who can dance and people who can't dance. Um, and just be the person, be the dancer that encourages the non-dancers that they're allowed to dance. I yes. think that's a really beautiful thing. <laughs> I do too. What a wonderful message. I so appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much, Natalie. Will you share how people can find you in your work? Yes. 
So my favorite place is Instagram, actually, just because I like to voice note people. Sure. Uh, so Natalie Danza, so it's dance with a Z in Spanish, Danza, um, is my Instagram handle. And then I'm also on YouTube. My real name is Natalie Orr. People used to think my second name was Danza, and I was like, that would be so cool. <laughs> my second name is Orr, O-R. Um, so yeah, YouTube and Instagram are the best places for people to find me. And, um, I, I work with dance teachers who want to kind of like do things in their own way to break out of the kind of restrictions of how things only should be done and, uh, who want to kind of overcome perfectionism and enjoy the dance journey because ultimately we all got into this because we love dance. That's why we all got into it. And so I love being able to bring people back to the reconnection of that. And part of that comes from being in your body and giving yourself permission to be you. Oh, wonderful. I love conversations when I have my own personal ahas and like just <laughs> those are so fun. And I love bringing in other as- like other perspectives that I'm not used to. And you definitely did that for me today. So thank you for sharing um, and my being pleasure. here with me. It was really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much.